uh, he said to me the following, because they were quite wealthy. Um, they had, you know, dealings with diamonds and businesses and they had security, their own personal drivers and security guard. And he said to me the following, he said to me, if I would follow Jesus, I will lose everything. Mm. I will lose my family. I will lose my job. I will leave my, leave, leave, lose my mind. I will lose everything. And I said to him, I know. And I, I, I didn't even have to, to convince him of Jesus because God gave him a sign that moment. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. To stay up to date and see pictures of our guests, follow along on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And to learn more on how you can share the gospel and make disciples, go to discipleacity.ca. And friends, we all love and need to be encouraged, and what better way than to share your stories? I would encourage you to download the United United Hive app where everyone can post testimonies of encouragement, prayer, healings, and salvations and all kinds of encounters. This app is available to everyone to see how God is moving all over the world. Anywhere you download apps, you can find the United Hive app. My guest today is speaking with us from Pretoria, South Africa. She is the founder of Brave to Love Ministries. They are a nonprofit organization that rescues and helps to rehabilitate victims and survivors of sex trafficking and the sex trade. And they have reached people in three different countries. They've done 137 outreaches and have thus far rescued 56 women and children. Please welcome Emma Vanderwalt. Hello. Hi, thank you for the invitation. Yes, and thanks for coming on, and it's so nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you, Todd. It's great being here. You're doing uh, quite an extensive amount of work over there. I was looking at your website and uh, some of your YouTube videos, and uh, it's very intriguing. That stuff's happening all over the world, but it's very intriguing to hear exactly what's going on in South Africa. Um. Just to start off, Emma, can you just tell us about your your uh, faith history, your past, like when Jesus became real to you or how you grew up in faith and, and stuff like that? Yeah, thank you, Todd. Um, yeah, it's always a story, eh? <laughs> how we find Jesus. Yeah, so my story is a little bit different. Um, I found Jesus when I was four years old. Um kindergarten teacher told me about Jesus. And uh, I think my faith, my childlike faith just responded. And as a child grew up with a family that was Christian and, um, but I had a, even at the age of 12, I remember just an encounter where God started moving in my life and just reaching, having a great empathy for people that are broken, that type of story, um, facing my own challenges, obviously as a young girl, but I had a very strong desire to hear God's voice, God speak to me. And I had, um, I always knew God, the father and Jesus, but I had a longing to hear the Holy spirit and who he was. And that was sort of just the journey of hearing his voice and having these encounters where he would speak to me and, and really knowing it. I'm not hearing different words, but this is really God, um, standing in relationship with me, um, as his daughter speaking to me, hearing his voice. And, but I had a very strong concern in my heart um, for people that are going to hell. Um, I think it bothered me as a young girl. 
I, 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 they're just the scariness of someone that will be damned forever and not knowing Jesus because my relationship with him was so close and, and I could, he was my, my safe zone. He was my, my net that was catching me the whole time. He, I had a living relationship with him um, and it bothered me a lot. So um, as a young girl, teenage girl, I started um, getting in, involved with skateboarding and getting into that sort of subculture getting into punk rock uh, you know that was sort of sort of my my journey and um and then I, I just met a lot of a lot of unbelievers a lot of from atheists to people that are you know different different forms of, of faith and people that are just you know I always say you get small sinners and big sinners and um yeah and I just started walking in into these places um I was, you know, working at a skate park. Uh, I was later on, I was working in the clubs as a bar lady and I was spirit, filled, with, filled with the Holy Spirit. I was, very, I sacred my life. I was, um, I never drank alcohol or I really wanted to live a pure life in front of God, but God would send me, although my spirit was like, I wanted to keep pure and separate my, like I was in these dark places where people would, you know, just party, get drunk. Um, I worked in the casinos, so a lot of places where you could just know that it's, it's the devil's playground. So that was sort of just the preparation of my life. Um, got filled with the Holy Spirit at the age of 16. Um, didn't know what tongues was. <laughs> and then the Holy Spirit just filled me without anyone praying for me in my inner room. So that was sort of an encounter with God. And then from there on, I just started moving and flowing in the gift of prophecy, pro- uh, prophesying over people just in random bars or clubs or parties and so much so that the people would the reaction of the people and and i didn't even know it was prophecy i just wanted to share what god was saying to me to this person just i would you know i walk past someone and god will just give me a word for them i didn't know you called prophecy i was just in relationship with god and praying for people and um yeah so there was quite a few interesting encounters and uh god i remember the one party that i was the guy was so drunk and he was actually irritating me but he was he was just making havoc and just insulting God verbally. And I just prayed. I said, God, would you, if you want an appointment with him, I'm available. And the next moment, this, this guy just didn't want to leave me alone. He was just, it was like a magnet. And he said, cause I was studying psychology at this time. And, and he said to me, tell me something about myself. So I told him something about himself, but I was prophesying. And this guy just, he got the fight of his life. He's like, how do you know that? How do you know these things? And he started lining up all his friends and saying, this girl tells you something. So that was my first encounter of, okay, prophecy is, is and Jesus is, is real. And it's a sign even to the unbeliever that God exists. So that was sort of the journey. I'm not sure how deep we need to get into to that. But yeah, there's a lot of stories on that. So that's sort of just my journey and then into ministry. Well, can you, can you, uh, you, you talked about having an encounter with the Holy Spirit or receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Did you say that that was in your room by yourself? Yeah. Can you describe yeah. what, what that was like for you a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So I was, um, I was 16, uh, around, yeah, I was around 16 years old. Um, I had a mentor. We, we grew up in a quite a traditional church. Um, you know, a lot of uh, traditions and, and the Holy Spirit, there was, uh, you felt God's presence now and then, but it wasn't really, there wasn't signs and wonder. There wasn't um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't really operating. But I had a mentor, one of my spiritual leaders, 
that when I actually led someone to the Lord during this time, and this guy was, uh, you know, he was a graffiti artist. He was rollerblading. He was, but he was, he was really, his life was going straight, straight to hell. And I led this guy to the Lord. And I was almost shocked when he said, yes, he wants to accept Jesus. And my this mentor of mine, this youth pastor of mine actually helped me to lead this guy to Jesus because I didn't know how. And I saw him praying in the Holy Spirit, uh, praying in tongues, giving the interpretation of the tongues. And I really saw him sort of praying people's hearts out to Jesus without, because um, the Bible says we, when we do not know what to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through, through us. And a lot of times you lead this person to Jesus and they don't know what to pray. So it's like sort of praying their hearts to Jesus. And I saw the power of that, of the, of the gifts. And I started, the desire started stirring in my heart, but I didn't want to tell anyone that. So the one day I got home from school, uh, went to my room and my sister was in her room and we just prayed. Our family was going through a very difficult financial time. We were just praying together in our rooms um, for our family, for everything, and then I said, in my prayer, I said the following. I said, Holy Spirit, I really, or I said, God, I really have a desire to speak in tongues. Um, and I, because I want to use it to pray for other people. That was my motive. It wasn't there to have a spiritual encounter or position. I just wanted to use that gift to minister to others because I saw that in action with one of this mentor of mine. And I didn't know what was going to happen that moment, but like the Holy Spirit filled my mouth with tongues and I was so shy. My sister was sitting across from me and she was praying so long and I just kept my mouth quiet and I knew something was happening to me. And I, and I left my, I left her room. I said, okay, I'm going to go now. And she didn't even notice. I just went to my room, opened my Bible on my lap and tongues just came out. I was just praying in tongues and I didn't tell anyone what happened to me. And uh, the next, like two weeks after that, we had a cell group meeting and this specific mentor of mine, he was, um, he was discipling me and he was saying, he was very prophetic. He was saying, God shows him that there's someone here in this, in the cell tonight that also received the Holy Spirit. Oh, I kept quiet. I didn't tell anyone. So afterwards I said to him, I think I might've received it. So that was quite <laughs> an encounter for me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I used to receive tongues, but you don't know how to, you don't know how to pray because, because no one around you prays in tongues and, you didn't know how to pray. How do you need to interpret? So it was like sort of the baby steps in that, but I was just so hungry for God. I was just so hungry for the Holy spirit. And I, I knew I needed, I needed his power because I had an unction to go reach the lost. And I knew there was a stirring in my heart that I need the Holy spirit power to be able to have that boldness and go out and, and, and reach the world. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the function of the baptism of the Holy spirit is to empower us to, to, in the boldness of sharing the gospel. Yeah. And that's such a great, that's such a great testimony because uh, it's hunger, right? It's your hunger to serve the Lord, not hunger for yourself. And, and um, I hope that really encourages people too, because oftentimes the enemy wants to fill us with doubt. You know, if you, if you, are unfamiliar with tongues or the Holy spirit and you see that happen or you see it on a video or maybe in a church and you're filled with doubt, but for you, just the natural hunger of wanting to know more about God and wanting, you know, what do these gifts look like for me? And I just want to serve you. That's, that's, uh, that's the way to be closer in intimacy with the father. Hey, um, Emma, you, yeah, it's an outward gift. Yeah. Um, 
when you were talking about being in the club with this one guy who was bothering you and you had said that, that he said to you, tell me something about me. That seems like such after, of course, that you prayed for God, if you want to reach this guy, it seems like a really offside, bizarre question to throw at somebody in a club. Well, anywhere, but specifically in a club, tell me something about why do you think, do you think that was God that threw that thought in his head? Like, why would he say that to you? Yeah, definitely. Cause he was, I mean, he was using the Lord's prayer up in vain and, and I always want to make myself available for Jesus to use me. And, and he was definitely, it, it was, you know, for me being so young, not knowing too much about life yet, because it happened, that same type of scenario happened again, just after that, I was working as a bar lady in a club and there was a VIP area and it, sometimes God just you prophetic by accident, he surprises you and it just sort of comes naturally out of you because of, because of your longing for a relationship with him. But, but I was sitting next to a guy, he was um, in the VIP area and we were getting ready and I didn't really want to be in that, that, that moment I was just irritated. I was annoyed by him next to me. Um, but then I just, we had, you know, we, we were waiting patiently and, and he started, he was very annoying. He was also just, um, trying to, to be almost vulgar. And, and finally he felt bad and he started also having a conversation with me. He wanted to know what I do. Um, although I was a bar lady, I said to him, no, I, um, I teach people how to hear God's voice. That's what I do. I, that's, I, I run training and things like that. And so I love it when people ask me, what do you do? And I was like, no, I teach people to hear God's voice. And then he started, he also threw just this random question at me. He was pointing to his friend and he said, when is that guy's birthday? And I looked at him and I guessed, and I guessed wrong. And I thought to myself, well, maybe, maybe I must ask God. And I said to the, I, I because you know, like how people just ask, what's that? When's, when's my friend? When, guess when my birthday is. So I said, no, the 21st of May. And this guy's mouth just dropped. He was from um, Lebanon um, and he was Muslim. And his mouth just dropped. And he said to me, when is my birthday? And I said to him, no, on the, on the it was somewhere in September. It was like 8th, 8th of September. And he looked at me and he just said to me, your God told you. Wow. And at, at that moment, I, I didn't really know how to respond because then he started having conversations with me because I knew the Holy Spirit was convicting him of who Jesus is at that moment because he knew I was I was following Jesus. And he said to me, you know, we believe Jesus is a, is a, was a prophet. And I said, yes, I know. I know what you, what you believe. But, but once again, I wasn't trained in apologetics or anything. I don't know really how to answer him on his faith or I knew a little bit of what, what the Muslim faith was about. But then it got to a point where uh, he said to me the following, because they were quite wealthy. Um, they had, you know, dealings with diamonds and businesses and they had security, their own personal drivers and security guard. And he said to me the following, he said to me, if I would follow Jesus, I will lose everything. Mm. I will lose my family. I will lose my job. I will leave my, leave, lose my, I will lose everything. And I said to him, I know. And I, I, I didn't even have to, to convince him of Jesus because God gave him a sign that moment. And so my prayer is that was one of the first encounters with, with like when I had the supernatural sort of God's power in the dark areas. But that moment, my prayer is always that, that was sort of the first starting point of, of power evangelism or prophetic evangelism. 
And I asked Jesus that day. I said, so my prayer is always to Jesus. This is Jesus. I want to, when I, when it's my time to go to heaven, I really want to see Jesus first. But the second face that I hope to see is this guy's face because I really hope he's in heaven. I really hope that day he, he gave his life to Jesus. So, cause I'm not sure, but I do hope he did. Yeah. And it's so important to just to share, to be bold and, and share and, you know, plant seeds and maybe you'll see him come to faith or lead him or maybe you won't, but you, you've planted a seed there. That's a, that's a really good story. Um, Emma, I was watching one of your YouTube videos. And so just to give a context to our guests, we're really blessed where this podcast is heard over 60 different countries. So just to give some context to some people who may not know too much about South Africa, um, I watched one of your videos where you were doing, um, and this was a while ago, but doing a self-defense course for yeah. women specifically. And, yeah. um, you know, we have self-defense courses too here in Canada, specifically for women too. And, and, you know, Canada's can be a rough place too. And especially in our bigger cities, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, uh, Winnipeg's pretty, uh, pretty crazy at times, like in areas. But what really struck me was, and I can't remember the term that you used, but it was beyond self-defense. It was disarming someone with a gun and just the way you, the way you matter of factly said that really struck me as a Canadian, because although there is lots of guns here and gun crime, um, yeah, I don't know that we get into how to disarm somebody. (laughs) So can you just (laughs) talk a little bit just before we get into your ministry about, about what uh, yeah. you know the crime level in in uh, your culture, your area there. Oh, geez, where to start? Eh? We just got our reports back on the, our crime, and and it's already bad. But it went up with eighteen percent, like most of it now, just in the last three months. So, um, and I've I'm been sure by gunpoint. So yeah, so I've been helped by gun. So when my first encounter with crime, so we've had crimes, we've had smashing grabs on on the roads and stuff. So I've I've encountered crime quite a few times just personally. Um, I mean, my husband and I were we were we were still dating, and we parked in front of his mom's car, and three guys jumped out with guns, put it against him. I jumped out, threw my hand back in the bush, put my hands up, started praying in tongues aloud, and I was ready to lead the guy to Jesus. My husband was, was a little bit upset with me, so I was like, I even asked him because I used to, I used to model. And one of the dresses that I used for the fashion show was in the car. So I was like, please, sir, can I have my dress back? And I was talking to the criminal. <laughs> and they were, but they were quite aggressive. So, but I don't know, I just, I just didn't fear because I know who Jesus is. But no, not that I say that that's the right way to do it. But that was my first encounter. So that was our first encounter with crime. Um, then after that, uh, I mean, about five years ago, they broke into our house. Well, they broke into the house and then again, uh, but I was at home while the guys were storming into the house. So I was hiding. And then about a, when was it? Last year, October, my little girl and myself were, um, and, and my, my twins, my husband is a pastor. So he was preaching and we were on holiday at a, at a game lodge. And the guys, because I'm trained, I am obviously work with law enforcement. So I am trained in, uh, and we're busy with concentrating in that. Um, three guys with guns, uh, one o'clock in the morning, stormed into the property. It was a, it was a um, a game farm with wild animals. We were on on holiday, and the guys just and they started beating my my grand uh, our our you know my my mother in law, and she was shouting so bad. And I just I just 
jumped up, took control, stayed calm, told the guy, this is what's going to happen. You're not going to hurt the kids. I'm going to give you what you want. And he he tried to grab me and take me with, but obviously I got out of the grip, um, gave him my phone. He must take the phone. I don't care about uh, belongings and and they left. So the the scary thing about that is that, like they did shot at my my brother in law, but the, the bullet was uh, the bullet was a we actually traced the bullet. It's a military bullet. So crime is so bad that these guys are robbing the military. They're robbing the police. So I think they say seventy percent of the firearms around are police firearms that police actually rent out their firearms for crime. They or or they just you know get stolen. So it is actually, it's actually havoc. I mean, our crime stats are so high. Our murder stats are so high that you could, I think our murder is higher than the Ukraine at the moment, which wow. is in war. Yeah. So, so, and, and when we talk about, obviously we deal with the sexual crime side of things. Our stats are showing that one out of 10 women are raped in South Africa. Those are, those are only the ones that are reporting rape. So when we look at our rural areas, our townships, where there's real poverty, where people are living in, um, small little sink houses, um, not even building, you know, buildings. Um, the, the girls are being raped. Um, our women are really being abused. So that's why South Africa is a very strong drive on gender-based violence. Um, yeah, it's quite rough. So we've got these, those type of crimes, but then so obviously we counsel the human trafficking. So these criminals are obviously coming to South Africa because of our corruption. It's easy for them then to, 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 fight, to you know, to come here and do their trafficking business. So the, the- uh, would it be, um, I mean, I'm sure there's obviously clearly nice areas and safe areas. It's, it's just, is it pockets or more bigger cities or is it in rural towns as well? Or So, yeah, so it's everywhere. Um, so, so we live in a, in a, uh, you know, we're, we're all living in security estates and things. So I think this podcast is probably bad for tourism to South Africa, <laughs> but <laughs> so we're at a place where we realize that because we we're all living here and we're quite eyes open and and we know how to um to to keep ourselves safe with crime um but yeah but but you have your rural areas um you've got your cape flats your cape flats are your area down in cape town which is extremely high on murders where you've got your gangs your gangsters fighting and just just killing each other um so it depends on which areas so you have your your areas um, which are more highly on crime, but, um, so, but we don't, we travel everywhere with our organization. Um, but, but we have security on our team as well. Well, don't but, be yeah, discouraged. Don't, uh, friends, don't be discouraged to travel to South yeah. Africa. It's like anywhere else, right? You just have to <laughs> you can, be smart about you where you're going. Me when you, you can phone me when you're here. I'll keep you street smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's no different than big cities yeah. in Canada, right? If you go walking around exactly. aimlessly in the wrong place, yeah. you're going to meet trouble too. So, um, exactly. So speaking with the sex trade, then can you tell us how, mm-hmm. how you started this ministry and what, what in your heart drew you to this specifically as a focus? Yeah. So uh, I was a pastor for about 10 to 12 years. I met my husband also in the church and um, I was overseeing the healing ministries, the prophetic ministry. And then also, but my great passion has always been evangelism because of you heard my story when I, when God touched my life. But so I was a little bit frustrated sometimes because of the the prophetic in me hearing God's voice. I love the church and I'm still grounded in the church, but I felt that the church was very isolated and was sort of in a bubble, a comforting bubble. And like I'll sit in the church meetings on our pastors meetings. We were, we were part of a quite a large congregation. I was frustrated because 
I just wanted to take all these passes on outreach because I was like, you are so not in connecting with what is really happening out there on the streets or in real life, people that are in business, you are just out of touch. You're in the spiritual bubble, but, but you know really what's going on. So I was very frustrated then. I started leading outreaches just in the church. We would just go out to places and doing a little bit of street evangelism, just praying for people. And in South Africa, we're quite a Christian country. Um, and people are quite open when you just, you, you ask them, can you pray for them? People are actually quite hungry for it. We have a lot of people from different African, African countries also coming into South Africa. So people are quite open for it. And then through the evangelism outreach side, um, we just connected with an organization in Johannesburg and they were doing outreach to women in prostitution. And because I'm an evangelist, I would, I was just stirred. I said, Jesus, wherever you want to take the light and the love, please, um, I'm, I'm willing to be used by you. So our first outreach was then to, we had a, uh, we've got a um, sort of an expo year that focuses on, that's called Sexpo. So we started just reaching out to the women working there in the clubs and prostitution. And um, there were a few things that happened in my heart then because we started going then into the brothels, finding the locations, going, um, dropping gifts to the girls, um, connecting with them, saying, hi, we here to support and love and pray for you. If you need help, this is our number. Um, just get in touch with us. So we started doing those type of outreaches, just bringing gifts to the girls. And, but it was, I just wanted to hear, for me, it was a frustrating journey because I was, I wanted to hear the stories of how do a girl end up in, in prostitution where she's selling a body. And I wanted to, so I started listening to the stories of the girls say, how do they, because a lot of them will actually be, be following Jesus. That, that'll be, South Africa is quite a Christian country. So a lot of these women, they know God, they, they, they do, they are filled with shame and guilt, but, but they were, so we were, we were doing that also as evangelism and then inviting the girls to, to events and at our events. So we would, we would reach out with gifts and then invite them to events. So then they will come. We'll usually about 50 girls, ladies, women in prostitution, our red light area, our streets, even the street girls, they would come and we will share the gospel of Jesus with them. And then we'll do that. Um, some of the girls will give them, well, mostly when we do the gospel in a, on an event like that, I think, more than 60% of the girls will give their hearts to Jesus, if not more. Wow. And then we will pray. Yeah. And then we would pray for them for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Um, or it depends on what we've just feel the Holy Spirit wants to do. We will pray for them for deliverance or, um, healing or just inner healing or fe- freedom, um, from fear. Um, so that was sort of the gospel coming to the girls. So that, that's how we started just, just outreach and ministry wise. And then it went, yeah. So it went over to over to what? Just, just going full time into it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I had seen that too. Um, you're connecting with these girls. You can see on the streets cause you can just walk up to them in the clubs cause you can go into clubs. How, how are you received in a brothel by the people that run it? Are they protective of the girls and yeah. not wanting you to do that? Like, how do you get in there and do that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I think Jesus just gives us favor. <laughs> I think when you're friendly and you say they, we've got, we've been doing it for about eight, nine years and and we just go and bring the gifts and like, we don't stay long. Uh, we do training, you know, we don't stay long. We're not yet to interfere with business, which we are just here to drop her. just the drop of love of, of the father's love in our heart. Um, so depending on, on the, the, the streets are, you know, streets are different, but sometimes the girls in the street also don't want to talk to you because they, they need to 
they they pimp when they control they pimp once um you know a certain amount of money from them so they need to do business and and then a lot of times there's substance abuse but in the brothels um we are very well received i think one of my first brothels i went into we were so welcomed by 20 girls and they it's quite funny but they were smoking quite a lot of i don't know what what you call it dope dacha <laughs> TBM, what you call it? Yeah. <laughs> so, and and the girls were all high, and and I walked out there almost high because like there were just so many so many fumes around. But they were also happy to see us, you know. So you have those very interesting moments. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just building relationship with the people, and they know we're not here to interfere with business. We just we just want to bring Jesus, and and we don't stay long into the places, but um, we're there to love them. The pe- and if God wants to. The, the people that run it, do you find, are they silent when you come in and just sort of you go about your, your business of giving the gifts and stuff and then go out? Or do you talk to them as well? Yeah. Or? Um, so, yeah, we speak to the managers of the places. Um, we, we are, we're not yet. We also tell them we're just here to love the girls and, and help them. And, and yeah, so we speak to them and, um, sometimes the managers are obviously not the owners of the places or running the places. She also always got the people higher up, but yeah. I just, yeah. I just wonder, or maybe I just feeling in my heart right now that when you guys walk in there, that you're carrying such a presence of the Lord, that the people running it exactly. know that they can't do anything. Mm. Right. Cause nothing's yeah, exactly. bigger than the Lord. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And it's sort of the scripture, let your friendless be known to all. So um, we know that Jesus is for everyone. So we, we sometimes encounter the, the, the Johns, which, which are the sex buyers as well. And we realize that they also broken and, and need, need, need of Jesus. Yeah. Um, so we understand that. So I take it. It's then, not always nice. But. Yeah. I take it then that brothels are legal. No, they're not. No. Very, very illegal oh, in South okay. Africa. Oh, okay. <laughs> but 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 crime is so high. So we don't have really many specialized units, but crime is so high that um yeah, these brothels are not being really prosecuted. Uh there's not there's not the Johns are not being prosecuted and the women are even for uh, there are women being locked up now and then for prostitution, but it's not illegal. No, it's not it's not illegal at the country. Our country wants to legalize it, but we are we are we are um fighting it at the moment because we realize that the system of prostitution is breaking down a woman's dignity and his self-worth and, and most of these women that are in prostitution, um, have had guns against their heads. Um, subs- organized crime are very much involved with any brothel keeping when it's from, from drugs or, um, a fraud, drugs, fraud. Um, even the girls, you know, sometimes they also make themselves a little too crime. So they hustle, they would hustle the, the clients many times saying, you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's, and, and rape. Um, most of the girls will tell me that we call it every girl faces a crocodile. They all have had one client that comes in and just rapes them. Mm. And it's quite violent. So, so the system of prostitution, it's very damaging to, to these girls working in it. And, and that they face a lot of trauma. So they, they, and, and because of the prostitution, it's quite interesting, but they, it's so damaging for them, uh, the trauma that they psychologically, a lot of them would struggle with P- PTSD. They would struggle with suicidal thoughts, um, disassociation, because um, the disassociation side comes in because they need to create a different persona with the client than who they really are. 
So, so every every person that every client that comes in, they they're losing part of their their hearts and their their souls. Yeah. So after a while, they because they they choose different names. So it's quite an interesting study if you actually understand what's happening to them while they are in prostitution, the the damage that it's actually doing to them. And later on, then they go into substance abuse because they cannot cope with the job. So their body physically cannot cope with it. We've all the girls. I mean, I help them with medical support. They all struggle with with diseases, and um, they really me- medically they're not healthy um, because of the job. Yeah, um, which we can't really call it a job because I don't think it's a job. It's but most of the women are there because of survival, specifically in South Africa. They their circumstances are so broken. Um, they cannot. A lot of them are, are mothers. Um, even though they might be young mothers, but they are mothers, so they need to they need to financially support their children because there's no dads. So they are, they don't have education. So the only thing they know what to do is then to enter prostitution because the only job they can find. Otherwise they will starve and their babies will starve. So a lot of, I've had a lot of conversations with these girls and they all tell me, no, we don't want, we need the money, but we don't want to do this. This is not what we want to do. It fills us with shame. And I can't even, I can't even imagine mentally, like you said about, you know, using drugs or different names or just sort of detaching yourself mentally from what you're doing physically. I can't even imagine long-term, even short-term what that does to you. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the numbers we talked about earlier was uh, 56 women and children rescued so far. And and we had talked before the show that you said that number needs to be adjusted because that was last year's number. So um, share some stories of some some positive outcomes of, of what you guys are doing and how you've helped some, some women and children out of this. Yeah. So, so let me tell you one story, uh, which is quite, quite incredible. And it's really only God that helps us and Jesus and helps us and walks ahead in front of us. But during COVID um, lockdown, South Africa has got a lot of poverty, but we have a lot of uh, illegal immigrants coming to the country that, that are illegal in the country and they are day workers. So, um, they can't find formal jobs. So they are literally standing on the streets of the road, um, depending upon someone that will just give them a day job um, for the day so that they can have food to eat. Um, but we have these camps, these informal settlements. And during COVID lockdown, we realized these people are not going to eat. They don't have savings. They're not going to eat. So God was speaking to us, listen, and he said to us, you need to feed the people. You need to, you need to raise funds. Uh, and this was when we sort of just started out with Brave. And we, we focus obviously on the, the the prostitution side of the ministry but we just started having faith i started getting on social media i said we're not we're going to feed the people we started working with the police by sort of governing it and that was sort of a miracle just just the miracle of that but i'm not going to get into that now but just feeding people week after week every time the storehouse was empty god would just fill it with food every time we we just we just we were just giving out food um it was massive but um but during this time we would walk into an area called Hillbrow. Now, Hillbrow is it's a CBD area, but it's it's quite dangerous. I think in the area of Hillbrow, there's so many guns in that area, and it's high condensed flats, high up flats, city, um, a lot of murders, a lot of rape, a lot of crime, high, high levels of crime. And we would go, our outreaches, we, 6 o'clock in the morning, we would go when the pimps are sort of, a little bit more chill. The girls have done their business, but they're still on the street, six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. And we would walk the streets and just go share the gospel, love the girls, give them something to eat, um, give them some fruit or what, or a Bible or whatever's needed. And then we will, for specific girls, there was the one morning I was out. And I remember this, I saw this girl walking out of a flat 
And God said to me, go to her and give her your card. I walked up to her, I said to her, listen, here's my card. If you ever, and she asked me, why would I need your card? I said, no, if you're ever in danger or you need help. This was right before the COVID lockdown started. And I received a message on my personal phone saying, um, just in the middle of COVID, but I assume from this girl, because it's the only girl I gave my number to, saying, we are in need of help. We are 20 girls in this brothel. There's children here. They do not have food. Can you help? So because we were doing so many food projects, I actually sent another charity organization into the area, say, listen, because they are in the area, can I just go hand, hand out food in, in this place? So they went there. Op- they opened the door. The, these pimps opened the door, but they were so sketchy of who's these people. They kept them hostage there for like three hours. They kept the charity hostage for three hours. So finally they got out. This guy was traumatized. So, and then we realized, okay, something else is going on here. We went to go interview the guy and realized, okay, we will need to put call in the, in, in the police services to start helping. And, um, we planned the raid with quite a lot of police officers, the health department, everyone. And we raided the brothel, but we could see, okay, some of the pimps have left. Um, they obviously knew something was coming. Some of the girls, but there were still, I think around 12 ladies that were there. And the police raid was sort of over. Everyone was like, okay, we didn't find drugs, nothing. And they, everyone was sort of leaving. But I have this urgency. God said to me, when I started this ministry, he said to me two things. He said to me, I'm a God of justice. And God said to me, go fetch my daughters. And I was walking in the brothel and I, I, I remember looking at some of the girls and God said to me, go fetch my daughters, take them home. These are my daughters, take them home. So I said to the, I said to, I work with a guy that's, that's military special forces. He's in our team. I said to him, listen, we need to find a safe house because I'm taking these girls home. <laughs> and we rounded up all the girls, him and I rounded up all the girls in one room. And I said to him, girls, my name is Pastor, Pastor Emma, Pastor Grace. I call myself Pastor Grace. I said, I know that you need the money. I know that you don't want to do prostitution, and but you need the money. And they were like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I said, you can choose today. You can come with me or you can stay. If you come with me, I cannot promise you much, but I can promise you I will try my best to give you a new beginning. And as I was talking, this one girl, her one eye was completely skew and she had a cut over her face. She was looking at me and she, I couldn't even finish my sentence and she was raising her hand the whole time. And she said, and I said to her, yes, sweetie pie. And she said to me, do you want to come with? And she said, yes, please. Can I come with? And then I looked at her tummy and I realized she's pregnant quite far. Then there was another girl. I didn't even see that there was another girl that was pregnant. And, um, and the girls, I said, if you want to go pack your stuff and come with, and I told the police, you need to arrange me a big van because these girls are going to the safe house. They cannot stay here, but some of them are pregnant. So I think that day there was around, I think a few of the girls that were from Zimbabwe didn't want to come with. I think they were scared of the police um, because they were illegally in the country. But seven of the ladies that day came. No, no, no. I think it was more. But they, they came with us that day. And I remember there was this one girl and she had these big eyes. Um, I, I always say they look like deer eyes. And and I and I, I she kept on like staring at me. Um but we loaded the girls up and at the, at the safe house that night, the safe house phoned me and they said like, no, this girl, the one girl that was far pregnant, she's having pain. So we need to get her to the hospital, got her to the hospital. 
So when she did the scan, we realized, okay, she's pregnant with twins. There's twins in her, in her tummy. And um, so we know that that mommy would have probably put those babies on the dustbin because she didn't. She And this happens quite a lot in South Africa where mothers just abandon their babies on the dustbin or just drop them somewhere wow. because they just cannot provide for them. And um, so this was one of the miracles for us because Jesus helped us to save those twins. And there was another girl that said to us, I am also pregnant, but I don't want to keep the baby because I was raped. And this is why I'm pregnant. But God intervened. We shared the gospel. Our team, I wasn't there, but the team shared the gospel with the girls. And um, that lady gave her heart to Jesus. And um, she decided then to keep the baby. Um, So it's a really beautiful picture. But the end of the story is that specific girl with the big, big eyes, the big brown eyes. The one night I was sleeping while in this time. And God said to woke me up and he said to me, you need to, drive back to the safe house. You need to go ask her what is her story. And I, I remember um, my friend that, that helps me with security. I said, listen, I, this is what God is saying. We need to drive there because usually when I get to the safe house, the girls are quite needy. So that will just keep my attention. And I drove to the safe house. I said, Mama Rudo, can I just speak to this lady? And I called her and I sat with her and I said to her, sweetie pie, I'm not here for the other girls. I'm just here for you today. Would you, would you, because God said, I must ask you, what is your story? And she just kept quiet. And I said to her, it's okay if you don't want to tell me. Whatever you feel comfortable with by sharing with me, you can just share with me what you're comfortable with. And finally she started. She said she was living in a quite a rural area and her mommy died when she was 16. And her friend, and she she didn't have money. She didn't have, she couldn't eat. So a friend of her came to her and said to her, listen, she's got a job opportunity for her in town. She must come with her. They hitchhiked with a truck, got to the city and got to this house where the job was. And there she was met by two giant traffickers. They took her into the property. They took her into her room and they gave her drugs and they, and she said, I don't want to take the drugs. And they said to her, you, you're not going to cope with the job if you don't take the drugs. And then they raped her. Um, what they do with the human trafficking, they, they break the girls in. So they will rape them the whole entire night to, to get them into submission and break their spirit and break them emotionally so that they obey. Um, while I was having this conversation with her, I was asking her some questions and she was just sharing with us. And I said to her, I remember Byron was asking her, he said, did you ever, go, did you go to the clinic? Can you remember where the property was? She says, no, they, they never took me to the clinic. And I, and I asked her, like, she's, she's like, what do you mean they never took you to the clinic? Or she's like, no, for six years, I never left the room. So for six years, they kept this girl just in one room, seeing clients over and over. Then what happened, they, one of the drug dealers fell in love with her and actually stole her. And he, he moved her to the city, to the other area of Johannesburg. And he finally then lost interest and she obviously became pregnant as well. And then she just worked for herself into prostitution because she knew not, nothing else. And, um, yeah, this trauma of the school was so, was so severe. Um, she was fighting in the broth. She was like actually hitting one of the girls in the brothel. But sometimes God will just tell me just to have patience with her. She'll, she's going to be okay. We got into a drug rehabilitation center, but she had no memory of her childhood. She can't remember anything of when she was a child before the trafficking happened. That's how severe the trauma was. 
But the one night she gave her life to Jesus, um, and then the one the one night she was sleeping, and she woke up singing. She was just worshiping God. She was singing, and that's when the first memory came back when God reminded her that when she was in school, she actually used to sing in the choir, and she has this love for music. And it's like God was bringing her memories back and just healing her and restoring her. And she was part of our program for about a, about a year and a half, two years. And then she finally integrated. She's got a little girl. She integrated back to her family. She's got a job now uh, working at the school where her daughter is going to school. Um, so we're really proud of her. We're really proud of her. Wow. That is, that yeah. is such a heartbreaking yet powerful and positive story about the power of salvation. Exactly. Because I believe that the power of salvation is, is healing and transforming someone's life. Yeah. And the truth of Jesus saves. It's, uh, it's, exactly. I know you don't need thanks, but it just warms my heart to hear people that are so obedient, like so selfless to be obedient, to hear God's voice, to be able to hear him so clearly, right? Like they'll, my sheep know my voice. And although to hear the specifics of this one girl, Go and see this one girl. Um, so you, uh, I'm just really touched right now. So <laughs> I'm stumbling. That's such a great story. So you now in your ministry have have a safe house that that you're bringing uh, women into. How many would you currently have right now that you're working so, with? Eve? Yeah. So we we do a family setup in a home. Um, most of the safe houses there's such a big need. So the safe houses are usually quite full and it's a bit of a system. So we, we, I believe in God's ways in creating sort of a family environment. So currently we have three girls, actually four of uh, the one is just doing a little bit of a, um, um, a rehabilitation store. We had a bit of a challenge with her, but she's doing well. So I'm sure she'll come back soon. Um, but we can, we can take around six girls into the home which is the brave home. So we do the second phase development. So after the girl has been rescued, gone through her drug rehabilitation, then she comes into um, our program, which is a longer program than um, just the normal. So we, we believe in a longer mentorship program for her, even to just experience God. So, so we are very integrated with our church community and, and just loving Jesus. So the girls are, it's amazing to see how they're, they're actually flourishing. And um, we are, we've, we, we're opening another home soon, just, just close by as well. And um, I have a, when God spoke to me about Brave to Love, the one night I was on the floor of the church crying. Um, and Jesus just filled me with so much power that night. And, but I felt his heart. I was just, I was crying the whole night. I was crying in that moment because he showed me the, bur- he gave me the burden for South Africa where we have all these teenage young girls in school. I saw all these our townships and our rural areas where these these teenagers that are that these teenagers that are being sexually abused, our teenage girls that are being sexually abused. And I felt God's heart for that. And so every time I am around it, I don't know what, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but it just bothers me, these teenage girls. So we don't have in South Africa really any um, tra- um, sex trafficking restoration homes for for teenage girls. So the second home we're going to focus on teenage girls to see how what can we do to help them. So I was talking to our social worker; it's part of her project. To see, and I said to her the other day, I said like, what are, what age group are we going to make it? Are we going to make it 16, 17, 18? And she said to me, No, Emma, twelve. 
and my heart broke. My heart just broke. So, so we are, yeah, we are just um, praying at the moment and just putting up some of the structures to be able to say, what, how can we do that to bring in, um, yeah, house mummies, the right house mummies in the process, so that we can bring in teenage girls and and walk because we our girls do school. We most of our girls, um, one of the vulnerabilities of the lack of education, so they dropped out of school, and that's what makes them vulnerable then to become victims of of sex trafficking. So yeah. Um, Wow. Well, yeah. we, 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 following Jesus. Yeah, we'll be praying for that because that's that's really bad. Mm. Um, BraveToLove.org is your website mm. where and people can donate on that. Yeah. Yes, they can. Thank yeah. you. So, friends, if if you've been touched, if you're in the South Africa area, if you're in Africa at all, if you're anywhere that that this is, has touched your heart, it's bravetolove.org. It'll be in the liner notes uh, where you can donate to that. Um, Facebook as well with Brave to Love. Yes, Brave to Love, and then um, Instagram as well, and LinkedIn. We're everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Everywhere, Graham and on the Instagram, LinkedIn. Brave, brave, brave to love official, officially, or brave to love official. You can check that on Instagram, and then, yeah, you can follow us on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, and there's videos on YouTube of of yeah uh, YouTube of Emma talking about these different things. Um, Emma, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Todd. Thank you. It's yeah, it's, oh. it places my own heart to talk about this again. Yeah, and I just I see behind you there, brave blend. So you're marketing some yeah. coffee. Yeah. So we also always, one of my passions is to say, how do we provide entrepreneurial avenues for the girls? So um, we have a coffee blend actually being, uh, that's part of it, but it's being released now soon. Uh, one of the big coffee um, companies here in South Africa are doing a brave blend to fight human trafficking. So yeah, so we're excited to for that. And there's some, yeah, our online shop will also be launching soon. Um, so we're always thinking entrepreneurial ways, um, whether whether it's through fashion or earrings or coffee, that's uh, to see how, how, how can we generate income, not only for the charity, but for the ladies. Yeah. So, to get, so we train the girls um, as coffee baristas here in South Africa. It's part of the um, skills development program we do. So that they, because so that they, their vulnerabilities don't cause them to fall back into prostitution or fall back into becoming a victim of, of sex trafficking under the control of a, a manager or a pimp. So, yeah, so we create avenues for them to exit. Yeah. Um, and, and we, um, you know, sex, uh, sex trafficking is a problem everywhere. Um, we had someone on our show earlier this season, too, that's doing similar to what you're doing here in Ontario where, where we're living. Um, but you're clearly met with different challenges with corruption and policing and, and different things like that. So, um, we'll keep praying for you guys and, uh, we'll declare that South Africa shall be saved. Yes, definitely. And I think the circumstances, um, sometimes force people to turn to Jesus, but, we currently we're sitting a little bit with a hopeless uh, hopeless spirit that wants to infiltrate um but our our mandate stays the same and, and we need to point people to Jesus even in a greater way and i hope that spirit-filled christians in south africa will be bold and share the gospel i had the blessing of going on a, a ministry trip to botswana and namibia and we had a layover in joburg so i don't really 
didn't really have a huge experience in South Africa, but we were there for 11 hours, 11 or 12 hours. And someone picked us up and took us out. And I saw the biggest miracle I've seen in Joburg in a mall in South Africa. And you're right. Uh, how open people were because we prayed for all kinds of people. Um, but I saw that happen there. So people are open and, and just encourage uh, everyone to share the gospel. Yes, exactly. And, and, and people in Africa, Africa is quite spiritual. So, so people are very open for, for even the, uh, even the gifts of prophecy and the, and, and to see the Holy Spirit move. Um, yeah, it's actually a very easy evangelistic field to, to move in and, and people are, are very open and hungry and, and, and desperate many times. So, um, yeah, it's, it's when it's when it's going like when a country stirred like this, even in South Africa, it 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 makes it the ground extremely fruitful to bring in the harvest. And I really pray, um, you know, we've got some missionaries even from overseas in America coming into our organization soon, and and that's my prayer is to say, oh, Jesus, how do we 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 cannot lose that mandate by saying, Lord, bring bring the evangelists into into South Africa because it's definitely ready. And we, we have a lot of our different African countries, um, people from different African countries coming into, from different faiths um, that really needs the encounter of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We, we stand on our ground. This is, we, we believe that this country, I mean, I work with law enforcement. In, in the police, we pray. Um, before a meeting, we pray to Jesus. Uh, I mean, the colonels and the, and the authorities in, in the police. So it's really amazing to really still have that. Amen. Uh, Emma, I have one uh, one more question for you. Um, if you if you today were to encounter uh, an, another girl that you were going to bring to one of the, your safe houses, and this this girl or woman actually decided to give their life to the Lord, and they had actually an encounter, so they they really knew at this point that Jesus was real but not knowing the freedom yet that he offers, right? And and still wondering what they're going to do, how they're going to provide themselves, how they're going to eat versus going back to what they know. What would you say to them? What would you say to them in a nutshell to express to them how deep Jesus's love is for them? I believe love is not in words, but it needs to be an action. So I might not necessarily have all the words. You know, I'm a pastor. I know how to preach, but I need to show her. The girls that I work with are very authentic. So you need to be very real and they watch you very closely. And I need, it's like where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So she needs to mimic after me as I follow Christ. I'm not perfect. I have my mistakes, but how do I show her Jesus in my day-to-day living? So I, she needs to she needs to become part of my community. So when we go to church, she follows. When we're when I pray, she needs to pray. Um, but I don't force in our in our community. We don't force the girls to into a religious way of God. We need to we need to waken the desire, which comes part of the discipleship process. And one of my girls, I mean, she was. When I, when she was trafficked and she was in the rehab, she was literally tearing up her Bible. And uh, God just said to me, I have to give it time. And now, recently she was baptized. Um, she prophesies. She was filled, um, filled with the Holy Spirit. She worships. And on Thursday night, on Tuesday night, we do a training called Brave Like Jesus. And she was praying and she was praying for the sick and God healed someone through her. So that's for me the victory to see a girl that was trafficked 
the changing, I always say, from prostitute to profit, changing from a working girl into someone that is separated and called by God. Amen. Thank you so much, Emma. It's a, it's an honor to meet you. Yeah, thank you. Jesus saves, friends. We need to pray and we need to share. It's not only the girls that need to hear the truth of Jesus, but the people that use them, the people that are in the crime, the people that are in the corruption. Everybody needs to know the power and the truth of the Lord to see our whole world set free. 